You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get another edition of Locked On College Football. Matt Moscona, Locked On LSU. He's Kevin McGuire, Locked On Nittany Lions. We're brought to you by Rock Auto. Um, you sure you want to come all season, Kev? For start for Nittany, man. Yeah, you know what? It was a tough start. But you know what? The, the fact that Big Ten football returned is ultimately the, the big takeaway. Uh, obviously, me covering Penn State, uh, a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow right out of the gate. Uh, but I, I try to look at the bright side. I look at there's plenty of room for uh, cleaning some things up. Uh, but I don't know how much Penn State's going to be able to clean up before this game coming up this weekend. I know we're going to get into it a little bit more today. So. Yeah, we'll definitely kind of go in our neck of the woods. You can talk about the big story. I'm dying to know your thoughts on what happened at the end of the Penn State-Indiana game with that controversial call. And down here in Baton Rouge, of course, LSU, even though Ed Ogeron won't admit it, he's got a quarterback controversy on his hands. But let's start with what is the biggest story in college football, and that is that uh, Wisconsin, uh, they have halted their football operations for the week. Their game against Nebraska this week has been canceled. It will not be made up. That's the Big Ten policy. It will not be made up eight games, eight weeks. So it's just declared a no contest. So Wisconsin had 12, as of, as of the time that you and I are recording this, 12 positive tests, six among coaches, including Paul Chris, six players, including Graham Mertz, who was quarterback, played really phenomenal in his debut last Friday. So um, let me just, let me just you know, bump the volleyball to you and, and let you start with – with your reaction to, to the news of what, uh, what's happening there in uh, Madison? Well, first and foremost, as we have said, I think a number of times already this season, we knew that when college football decided it was going to come back and attempt to play a season, we knew that this was going to be a, a very likely scenario that was going to play out. Uh, and we have seen that from conference to conference. Everybody has had to deal with some sort of issue related to COVID-19. Maybe not every school, but every conference has seen that. And now the Big Ten, one weekend to play, really couldn't even get out of its first full weekend without having this issue pop up. So again, we kind of suspected that it was going to happen, but it's just interesting to see how it's going to play out in the Big Ten because there is no wiggle room as far as the schedule is concerned. As you kind of alluded to, that game is not going to be made up this weekend. And the fact that the Big Ten has this uh, policy where you have to sit out 21 days uh, after your or before you get a positive test or after a positive test, that really lingers for, for quite some time yeah. because you're talking about uh, up to three games, maybe even more if that. So this is a real devastating situation, I think, for Wisconsin, especially coming off of such a fantastic debut for Graham Mertz. And he, was, he lived up to the hype. <laughs> this is yeah. one of the, the highest rated recruits that Wisconsin got, at least at the quarterback position. Uh, so, you know, wait, waiting all year last year to see him uh, get a chance to play and to, to see what he did Friday night against Illinois was very impressive. And he got some people saying, hey, maybe he can make a run for the Heisman and maybe this changes the, the outlook of the Big Ten. And now all of a sudden you're, you're pumping the brakes on all of that right now because you don't yeah. know what's going to happen now with Wisconsin. I think, um, I think there are two very interesting potential uh, branches on this tree that develop. Number one is what you referenced, which is the 21-day policy. When you're playing an eight-game schedule, 21 days is almost half your season. Mm-hmm. So 
and you're also right about the inevitability of positive tests. It's just, it, we've seen, it's just, it's going to happen. It's, can you function within that? And the Big Ten has left them no wiggle room. Now, we could go back to the beginning and say, this is why you don't cancel on August the 11th. It's why you postpone, because they potentially could have left themselves a buffer, flexibility, which now the Big Ten does not have. But that's, at this point, neither here nor there. It's just the reality of the situation. So I think, you know, what's going to be really interesting is two things. One, Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated has a, um, a feature up right now, if you want to go read it at si.com, where he's spoken to cardiologists who are set, effectively saying the positivity rate or, or the rate of myocarditis among positive COVID patients is so low that it's not even worth testing. Um, and that's part of the Big Ten's policy. Not only do you have to sit out 21 days, but you have to go through screening, a, a myocarditis or cardiac screening. And here you have cardiologists saying, don't even do it, don't even bother. So might the bit one, might the Big Ten review that policy? Because if they do, it buys themselves, obviously, the opportunity to get back on the field. That's one. Two would be, a, there's a very real question here, Kevin, about the playoff. Because if if hypothetically Wisconsin is going to miss three weeks and you're only going to play five games, there's no way if I'm on the college football playoff selection committee, and I'll ask you your feelings on this, but there, there is no chance that I could vote for a team that only played five games when there's some teams that will have played nine, 10, 11 games. I, I, just, I can't do it. And, and in some respects, it's, it's going to eliminate potentially the big 10 if we continue to see more cases like this, like I assume there will be. So what's, what's, your, what's your thought? What's your thought on the 21-day policy potentially amending that? Which, by the way, in that Ross Dellinger piece, Barry Alvarez lobbied for. He basically said, it's time to review this. And one week, one week in, he wants a policy reviewed. Well, obviously, it's his school. Right. But the policy and then also the, where this leaves the Big Ten in the playoff. Yeah, I think there is a very good chance that the policy will at least be discussed. I don't know if there's going to be any changes to it. I think we've already started this season. Uh, they're all playing by the same rules, the same protocols as of now. Uh, and obviously, if they change it, everyone will still be playing by the same policies. But I don't know if the Big Ten is going to be one that's going to be uh, open to changing their, their ways once they get started. I think they're going to see this season through for better or worse, whatever the case yeah. may be. Uh, if that means that it really hampers Wisconsin in any way and that has a trickle-down effect, I, I think the Big Ten is willing to – not willing to sacrifice the season, but I, I think at this point just go on and see what happens. And what if it's like, Ohio uh, State? What if it's Ohio State? Th that, that's a big question because if this does become an issue at other schools and, and all of a sudden you have you know, three or four teams in your conference that have to go through this, then you have a real serious issue. I actually think the Big Ten would probably be more leaning towards shutting the whole thing down for the year. Uh, that's just a gut reaction. I don't know. I don't have any insight on that. But I feel like if it got that far into spreading around the, the conference, not that Wisconsin is spreading it, but the, the same issues spread around, I, yeah. I think that the Big Ten would be much more willing or likely to shut the whole season down and wow. then try to pick up the pieces and try it again next year. Just a gut, it's, it's just a gut reaction. It's, it's so, no, no, but it's, but it's interesting just the, the – the, but your perspective is obviously valid being there and covering that you know, Penn State and covering that league. It's, it's so interesting just in the varying degrees of where leagues are. So what do you think about, about the, about how this potentially impacts the playoff in the big 10? Yeah, I think uh, as far as the big 10 is concerned, if they don't, if, if there's an undefeated team that comes out of this conference, like Ohio state and, and they win the conference championship, wh whoever they end up playing in that conference championship, I, I don't think you can, 
you know, just dismiss a team like Ohio State. I think they already even, had even that play if Ohio State plays, Even if Ohio State plays five games. Five games is a little different. Uh, I do think if Ohio State plays a full season, no question. It doesn't matter what, what happens and, in and the look, other conference. And they proved this Saturday, like, they're right. every bit as good as everybody thought they would be. I mean, they're if Ohio State runs the table, they're in. But I just wonder about, like, if you have this scenario. So I'm throwing you a hypothetical. Yeah. If you have the scenario where – and maybe even it's not Ohio State testing possible. What if Ohio State had Wisconsin on the schedule this week? Well, then right. Ohio State misses that game, not because they're positive, because Nebraska's po- – or uh, uh, Wisconsin's Wisconsin. issue. Yeah, here's the thing. If Ohio State plays five games and then all of a sudden they have to go through a Wisconsin situation, that that probably kills Ohio State's playoff chances. Because I'm with you. I don't know uh, when it comes time to the end of the season when you're trying to figure out the four best teams and take all of the resumes into consideration. While Ohio State's five games may be very impressive, mm-hmm. well, what's that going to do stack up compared to whoever's coming out of the SEC, maybe two teams out of the SEC, Clemson, you know, if Oklahoma State runs the table, they're still playing themselves into that conversation too. Um, so so there, are, there are a lot of degrees that could come back to haunt the Big Ten uh, and whoever may come out of this conference with the best playoff hope, uh, regardless of how many num- number of games they play. So that's what I say. If, if you're Ohio State, you better hope that you're going to be able to play every game. Or, or at the most, miss one. That's not your fault. Uh, because I still think that that would be okay. Uh, if they can play a conference championship game, that's going to be the big, the, the big hurdle that needs to be cleared. Well, Wisconsin and Nebraska fans will not be in a stadium this week. Well, actually, no Big Ten fans will be in stadium except fans of, or families of players. But right. wherever they are, they can grab some ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that was literally made to chill, cold lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged. It's Coors Light. If you've ever been to Golden, Colorado, there at the Coors facility – it's amazing. There's actually a little convenience store, like a little gas station right at the edge of the, of the brewery. And they say it has the freshest, coldest beer in the country because it goes straight from the brewery right to that little store. So naturally, last time I was there, I picked up a six-pack. Coors Light, the perfect beer to chill. Yes, absolutely. And now that Big Ten fans have some more football to watch, there's no better time to make sure your fridge is fully stocked with nice, ice-cold, refreshing Coors Light. But guess what? If you are running low on your supply and you need to replenish, you don't even have to leave your house to get more delivered to you. All you got to do to get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door is go to getthatcoorslight.com. Coors Light's the one that I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. That's Coors Light. And once again, go to get.coorslight.com. And as always, remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Our Locked on College Football podcast is brought to you by Rock Auto and rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need, you'll find it at rockauto.com. It's amazing. If you go to the website there, Rock Auto, R-O-C-K-A-U-T-O, rockauto.com. It's incredible how easy the website is to use and just everything that they have there. You look on the left side of the homepage and you'll see every make, like ever. If you're looking for Bentley or BMW, if you're looking at Genesis or GMC, they've got it all. Select your model, your year, body style, anything that you're looking for. They have every part that you could possibly imagine. And even some of the simple everyday things that you might need for your car. Yeah, absolutely. I bought some wipers recently and it saved myself a good amount of money. Wipers aren't not all that expensive, but when you get them from Rock Auto, they're even cheaper. They're more affordable. And that's because they are family business. They've been in this business for 20 years. They know what it takes to deliver a worthwhile customer experience. And they know that 
shopping for car parts is not a fun experience. So they make it as simple and easy and straightforward for you. So all you got to do is go to rockauto.com, put in the make and model of your car or truck. It brings up the entire catalog of every part that's available for you at those best prices available. Once again, go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Don't forget to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Kevin, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in our neck of the woods. Um, I, I'm when I'm I'm doing the LSU pregame show on Saturday, and we got screen, you know, TVs, games on all all in the studio, and we're watching the end of Penn State, Indiana, and I watched the play, the the overtime, the two point conversion, and my initial thought was the ball didn't get there, and the more angles you see the thing that was clear is the camera wasn't directly down the line. And I'm like, and it starts sinking into my brain. I'm going, if it's irrefutable evidence, I, they're going to let this call stand. I'm in my brain. I'm going, they're going to let this call stand. And when it did, my very first thought was I cannot wait until locked on college football. So I can ask Kevin about this. And I saw you getting salty on Twitter. I'm like, I am so looking forward to hearing this take. Okay. So Penn state, I mean, top 10 team. I mean, this was, Clearly a team that has has championship aspirations. Uh, Sean Clifford's back at quarterback. And then right out the gate, the loss in Indiana. So your thought on the play, what it means, go. Well, well, first of all, I was salty, not because Penn State lost, but the fact that I've been harping on this for a long time now. We need multiple goal line cameras, get every angle covered as humanly possible. There is no excuse for a conference with as much revenue as the Big Ten, as much revenue as they are distributing to their member schools, and as much revenue as they're bringing in from their television partners. There's no excuse not to have that technology. I just feel like it is such a simple fix. We go through this every season, every week that's going to happen somewhere. You got to have all the goal line cameras. Now, that said, I don't know how many cameras you would need. I'm cheering (laughs) for you. I'm cheering. (laughs) But but I will say that 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 that's also a TV network, like the broadcast network thing as well. So that's a big part of it. I, I know it varies in the in the increasing, I, I guess, exposure of the game. How many cameras they have? Because it's not just. But but it could be within the conferences, right, to mandate that every institution at their home venue have pylon cameras, which I would completely mm-hmm. endorse. That I'm I'm a, like. Dude, I'm 100% in your corner on this, by the way. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know how many cameras you would have needed to overturn that call because it was incredibly close. And I can understand why how the official making that call in real time would have ruled that he, that Michael Penix, uh, quarterback for Indiana, I can understand how he would have seen that as nudging the pylon because the pylon moves and it's in heat of the moment, split second reaction. I'm not blaming the official on the field. I'm not even necessarily blaming the official in the replay booth because he's only going with all the angles that they have. And I agree. As many times as I have watched that replay, I don't think that Michael Penix made that two-point conversion. I do think he fell short. But I don't see the indisputable video evidence. And that's what I keep coming back to. So it's one of those situations where I know what, or I think I know what happened on the field, but I can't actually visually see it. It's kind of like in hockey. I don't know if you follow hockey at all, Matt, but you know, when you, when there's a goal review, <laughs> I'm in Louisiana, bro. No, I know. What's Al Michaels line, the, the blue <laughs> line and the end, like that's yeah. Louisiana. Nobody has a clue. I understand that, but just real quick and brief. And for those people who don't actually watch hockey, when you review a goal, 
you can you can visually know that the puck, even though it's under a player like the goalie, you know that that puck has crossed the goal line. You know that the goal is scored, but because you can't see the puck in the video replay, you cannot overturn a call if it's missed. Mm. So it's one of those situations where you know what happens, you think you know what happens, but you don't actually see it. So there's really no reason to or no validity in overturning the call. So I, I get it. As I watched that replay, I was like, I don't think they're going to overturn this. I, I think they should, but I don't think they're going to. So that's one, of my yeah. big, that's one of my big complaints that I have about the video replay process. I do wish there was a little bit of a room for interpretation. But again, even if that was the case, that was a really close call. You know, my hat's yeah. off to Indiana. They, they deserve a win like that. I mean, they have had so many close calls over the years. Uh, and that Indiana team is a pretty good Indiana team. It's not like Penn State lost to an Indiana team from the mid-90s in the mid-80s. Uh, <laughs> this is not, this is not the, the Indiana of old. And it doesn't necessarily mean that Indiana is a Big Ten title contender, but they got a big notch under the belt right out of the gate. So they're going to be pretty dangerous. I would not be surprised if they give a couple more scares along the way, maybe even get a couple wins uh, against some teams you're probably not expecting. Maybe not Ohio State, but maybe Michigan. We'll see. Michigan mm. looked pretty good too. But getting back to Penn State real quick, Still a good team. Still pretty likely to have a pretty good year. But staring at a possible 0-2 start is not something that a lot of people were anticipating. Um, I'll take it to, to my neck of the woods for a quick moment. Um, this, I don't know how much nationally people are going to be locked into LSU. They are the defending champ. I get it. But you lose a couple of games the way they lost early, and the national interest is going to wane. I get that. Mm-hmm. But there is something very interesting brewing because Miles Brennan was injured and a true freshman, TJ Finley, started for him Saturday against South Carolina. And I also understand why most people were not watching LSU against South Carolina on Saturday. But this kid is incredible. I mean, he's a blend of Jamarcus Russell and Rohan Davey, a couple of former LSU quarterbacks. He's 6'6", 240, flick of the wrist, effortless. Um, It's one of those that you wonder, how was this kid in recruiting a three-star? I mean, he has every physical, you know, every tangible gift you would want. But the thing that was amazing was the poise. I mean, uh, it was almost like he'd flick a touchdown or whatever it would be, and he'd go to the sideline, read a book, check Twitter. Just like nothing phased him at all. And I'm going to tell you what, Miles Brennan, one of the really interesting stories this year was Brennan waited four years, right? It's such an outlier. Most kids don't wait four years for a chance to play. It's just in this culture of college football, guys transfer. And Brennan waited, and he was playing better. And it's very unfortunate that he got injured, but it's so abundantly clear the talent gap in the ceiling. And ultimately, I don't know what Ed Ogeron's going to do, but if you go back and ask Kirby Smart, okay, with the benefit of hindsight now, do you wish you had played Justin Fields instead of Jake Fromm? In a candid moment, what do, like, what do you think he's going to say? I mean, of course he's going to say, look at Just- Jake Fromm, who's a good college quarterback. Justin Fields is elite. This guy's going to be a top 10 draft pick. Right. You know? If you go back and ask Kevin Sumlin, hey, do you wish you had ridden Kyler Murray? He'd probably still be the coach at Texas A&M. You know? <laughs> he could be, yeah. If, if you go and ask uh, Cliff Kingsbury, hey, man, you wish you'd stuck with Baker? You know, I, like, well, maybe not, actually. because I was going to say, he did have Patrick got, Mahomes around the corner, he's, so he's, he's things got, didn't work out for that. And, and he's got a pretty good gig right now, too. Yeah. Like he's, He failed upwards. But look, look at scratch Nick Saban. That, scratch that example. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But look at, look at Nick Saban. You know, Nick had Jalen Hurts, who as a true freshman got him to a national championship game. And he saw this young kid come behind him and was like, he's just different. Our ceiling's higher with him. 
and he made a very difficult call, and he played Tua over Jalen. And I think Ed Ogeron's going to have a tough call to make. Uh, and, I, and, and the thing is, Miles Brennan hasn't even achieved anything relative to what Jalen Hurts achieved. These right. kids started three games, mm-hmm. and you feel badly for them. You never want to see someone lose a job to, inj- to injury. But if LSU goes on the road to Auburn this week and wins and Finley plays well again, I mean, next up for LSU is Bama, and I don't know how you play Miles Brennan. You've got to play T.J. Finley. I mean, LSU is about to have one of those types of of decisions to make. Listen, no matter what school you're talking about, quarterbacks don't stay. I mean, you, look, Tommy Stevens is at Penn State. Right. Lost a job, transfer. Like, guys don't stay. And these three kids that are at LSU right now aren't going to all stay because guys transfer. It's just the, the nature of the sport now. But the coach has to make the right decision. Like, you're going to have to pick. And you better hope you make the right decision because otherwise you're Kirby Smart and you let Justin Fields walk and you have Jake Fromm, who's a really good college quarterback, but he ain't Justin Fields. Right. Or you're Kevin Sumlin and here's Kellen Mond and you're fired and Ke- Kyler Murray goes and wins a Heisman Trophy. He's the number one pick in the draft, right? So something to watch this weekend, not necessarily just because it's LSU Auburn, but watch T.J. Finley because he may force Ed Ogeron's hand which would dictate what's ha- what happens at a place like LSU for the next three years. Yeah, I think uh, it would be interesting if LSU got off to a better start this season. I wonder if the conversation would be a little bit different. Uh, you, I'm, I'm asking you, I mean, would it be any different if they had not lost a game or you know, multiple games up to this point? Would that conversation I, go a different way, you think? Probably not because LSU didn't lose because of their offense. I want to be clear. It's not like Brennan needs to be benched because he's not playing well. He was playing well. Mm-hmm. It's just abundantly clear. You had a fourth-year junior who's really kind of neck and neck with a true freshman. Yeah. There's a very different ceiling with the two. Like, Finley has – you can just see it. He's got the potential to be elite. Miles Brennan has the potential to be good. It, it's, the, it's the potential of Justin Fields versus the steady hand of Jake Fromm. And, you know, which, which, which are you more comfortable with? And Ed Ogeron is going to have to make that decision. Um, I, I'm glad I don't have to make. Yeah. That, I was going to say decision. they they pay people to make these decisions a lot of money. Uh, unfortunately you and I are not among those two. So maybe someday. But that would be, oh yeah. Well, I don't think they pay us to make picks either, but we're going to do that when we return to wrap up locked on college football presented by rock auto the week nine slate. We're taking a look at it. When we return, stick around locked on college football, your team every day. Put a button here on a Thursday edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast brought to you by Rock Auto. We wrap up as we do every Thursday by previewing the biggest games in and around college football. Let's just go chronologically like we do each week. Kevin asked me, are, are you crazy for thinking that Georgia-Kentucky could be interesting? That's in the noon Eastern hour. Uh, my answer to you is, yeah, pro- probably. Uh, yeah, but there is I- one it- I was a little discouraged when there. you said that. I, I was feeling pretty good about it, but now all of a sudden I'm second-guessing myself. But go ahead. Well, there's, there's one interesting angle, and that's uh, Kentucky is likely going to play Joey Gatewood at quarterback. Gatewood was one of the top quarterbacks in the country a year ago. He signed with Auburn. He lost to Bo Nix, lost the job to Bo Nix, transferred this year to Kentucky. He's played a little bit of a backup role, but Kentucky starter Terry Wilson's out with a hand injury, so Gatewood likely to start. He brings a different dimension to that offense, so – Georgia's defense, as we know, best defense, one of the best defenses certainly in the country. But Georgia's a big road favorite here. They had a week after the the Alabama game to try to get healthy and get right. Georgia's a two-touchdown favorite. I think they win this one with ease. 
I, I do like Georgia to win the game. I'm just, I, I, I know what Kentucky did to Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. I know Tennessee's not Georgia, but, you know, yeah. there, there are moments like that where I think, you know, maybe Kentucky can make things a little bit interesting and give me a reason to stay a little bit later in that game than maybe I'm anticipating. There are games with gigantic point spreads this week, though, that are potentially very interesting. I'll throw one to you in the Big Ten, Michigan State, Michigan. Michigan State had to be one of the biggest disappointments with Mel Tucker's debut of losing to Rutgers last week. But Michigan, right? We talked about Michigan last week, and I was kind of like, man, could, could Joe Milton actually be the guy? And, man, I thought, was, I thought Minnesota would win that game. Michigan handled Minnesota on the road. Dude, you, is Michigan for real? They might be. I, I want to see a little bit more. I, I want to see more than just one you game. You just did to me what I just, about this, what I just <laughs> yeah. did to you about Georgia. Hey, what goes around comes around on this uh, oh podcast. But uh, I will say this. I was really impressed by what Michigan did because I do think that's a pretty good Minnesota team. I don't think last year was a flash in the pan. Well, maybe a large pan, but I do think that Minnesota is going to be a pretty good team again this year. So Michigan going on the road and getting a good, solid victory in all areas of the game. They've made some plays on offense, defense, special teams even had an impact. So that was a really good effort. And yeah, Joe Milton, maybe he's the quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has been waiting for at Michigan. Maybe he's going to be the guy that really changes things uh, for Michigan's uh, offense moving forward. I do want to see it. Uh, one more time, and I think we're going to get a lot of that in this game against Michigan State. It's a big points spread, like you said, and I think it's mm. big for I think it's big for a reason because Michigan State is a pretty bad team this year. Michigan uh, certainly is feeding off of the enthusiasm from last week, so maybe the lines adjusted a little bit before that. But I do think that Michigan just flattens Michigan State. I know it's a rivalry game, but mm. uh, this ain't going to be no rivalry on Saturday. This is all Michigan all day. I agree with you. Cincinnati, nine turnovers. Did I see that right for Michigan State? Nine turnovers against they had, Rutgers? They had it's, seven turnovers and two turnovers on downs. So, yeah, nine. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, that's, I, I don't even know how you do that. Uh, the only reason it's interesting, Cincinnati hosting Memphis. Cincinnati nice win over SMU last week in a ranked-on-ranked matchup. But Cincinnati ranked seventh in the country. They're 4-0. That's a team that's certainly in contention for the, uh, the, the group of five New Year's six slot. You think Cincinnati, it's only a, a touchdown spread. Any trouble with Memphis? Trouble, yes, but I do think they win. I think the Cincinnati okay. defense is going to be enough to kind of slow down Memphis just enough. This is a pretty good offensive team that Memphis has. Uh, but, and I know Memphis has had Cincinnati's number the last couple of years, but mm. I do like Cincinnati. I think that was a really impressive uh, showing they had against SMU last week. I, I expected more out of SMU, to be honest with you, but I came away mm. really impressed by Cincinnati's effort. So I think it's going to be real tough, or re- really difficult for Cincinnati to lose a game the rest of the way here. Four o'clock Eastern on Fox, Texas is at Oklahoma State. This feels like the last stand for the Big 12. Oklahoma State is 4-0. I think everyone roundly agrees. Oklahoma State's got another feed to get in, get the big of the playoff. Here goes Texas at 3-2 trying to salvage their season and win over number six Oklahoma State might do it. How do you think it goes in Stillwater? I think the Pokes get it done. This is the probably the best defensive team in the Big 12. I mean, it's very rare that you have a good defensive team, but Oklahoma State is that. So they kind of go against the green in that area. Um, Texas is not going to go away easily, though. Uh, I really do feel like they're going to get a Texas team that is looking to play spoiler, looking to make a statement for themselves and proclaim for at least one week that maybe Texas is potentially maybe almost back. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I get the feeling if you're, if you're just looking past Texas already, I think that might be a mistake. I do think Oklahoma state wins this one. I think they win it kind of ugly. I think it's going to be a low scoring affair and that's going to favor Oklahoma state. I think never bet against Tom Herman as an underdog. 
Oklahoma State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I like Texas to win outright and ruin right. the Big 12 shot at the playoff. All right, let's jump back into the Big 10. I got to get your thoughts on Ohio State at Penn State. It's a 12-point line. Massively disappointing loss for Penn State in the opener against, in, uh, against Indiana. Now, here comes Ohio State in that high-powered offense. What does Penn State have to do to play spoiler here? They got to clean up their offense. Way too many mistakes last weekend, some turnovers. Uh, they gave Indiana a four-yard touchdown drive. You just can't do that. Uh, if you can't do that against Indiana, you certainly can't do it against Ohio State. So I do look to see uh, what this offense does to improve. Uh, running back depth really took a hit over the last week. Uh, no Journey Brown going into the season. Noah Kane uh, basically sits out the entire game against Indiana. So you're talking about a third-string running back who's still pretty good in Devin Ford, but uh, he's going to have to step up be the main guy. So there's a lot of room for improvement with this offense. The good news is I think that they can improve, <laughs> and they have to. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do think that Penn State is up against a real tall order here because this Ohio State team is loaded all, all over the place. Uh, and I, I always thought that Ohio State was going to win this game anyway. So I do think that Penn State comes up on the short end. But I do think they play a better game. And, you know, if you're James Franklin, you try to take some optimism out of it wherever you can find it. It's going to be tough to find it after an 0-2 start, but I do think it'll be there. It's the primetime ABC game. I really wish this was a whiteout. I, that's one of the coolest traditions in college football, and that's kind of the thing you miss in a season like this because uh, no doubt that would have been – that would have been a whiteout in Happy Valley at night, and we're not going to get to see it. But uh, hopefully it's a good game. I'm with you. I'll take, I'll take Ohio State to go on the road. I, I don't go on a limb, but Ohio State looks every bit the part of a, of a title contender here. Texas A&M, they're at home back uh, against Arkansas, which Arkansas all of a sudden, after being literally the worst team in the SEC for three years, not winning a conference game in 20 tries, all of a sudden they're 2-2, two and two, and really, but for an awful missed call by the officials against Auburn, they should be – Right now, three and one with their only loss to Georgia in a close game. You think Arkansas can go on the road and play spoiler? I think they can be entertaining. Um, but uh, this is a big moment, I think, for Texas A&M to prove that they are going to be living up to some of their hype because, you know, how many times have we seen Texas A&M get off to good starts and then they just uh, they stumble uh, on their own right? So I think this is a game that's going to be more about Texas A&M trying to assert themselves as a team to really reckon with. Uh, the number eight in the rankings, obviously they got the loss to Alabama. So everybody does. So it's, I'm not going to hold that against them. Right. But I do think that if Texas A&M is going to be the program to watch in that SEC West that's on the rise or trying to arrive, this is a game where they have to take care of Arkansas. The problem is I don't know if anybody is going to have a whole lot of uh, fun time trying to take care of Arkansas because this is a fun team. They're really inspired. I, I, I just missed Sam Pittman as a head coach and hire. I, I didn't know if that was a great hiring move for Arkansas, but hey, whatever it is, it's working for now. Uh, maybe it's just 2020 at work, but hey, go out, have some fun. That's what they seem to be doing. Keep an eye on A&M because everybody who's talking about the second SEC team that could get in the playoff, the most likely is Texas A&M. Their only loss is to Alabama. Mm -hmm. They've already beaten Florida. And listen to the remaining schedule. Okay. Listen. They got Arkansas this week. They're at South Carolina, at Tennessee, home against Ole Miss, home against LSU, and then they're at Auburn. They're going to be favored in every game. A&M is going to be favored in every game the rest of the way. If they finish this season 9-1, and one, they're not going to go to the SC Championship game. That's going to be Bama from the West. But Bama's going to win that game against whoever's there from the East. And A&M is, is most likely to do this year what Bama did in 2017 when they didn't go to the SC Championship game 
Georgia won it. Bama got in anyway. And, of course, won the national title that year. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you I think a and going to win a national title. But of all the teams that nobody's talking about that has the best opportunity to be a second team from the SEC in the playoff, it's Texas A&M. So I get it that we're sitting here on October the 29th and nobody's really thinking of those terms. Start planting that seed in your brain because if they run the table, they're likely getting into the playoff. Yeah, the best thing that Texas A&M has going for them is they don't have to play Alabama again. Uh, you know, all this discussion about two SEC teams, it feels like it's always been Alabama and Georgia or Florida, yep. even though you would have to play Alabama in the SEC title game and maybe even win one of those games. But uh, you, you laid it out. You know, Texas A&M has a, a schedule that is manageable to make this happen. Now, do you trust Texas A&M to run that table? That's the big question for me. I'm not all in just yet, but yeah, there's, there's some potential here for Jimbo Fisher and what he's got going on with the Aggies. And they can take some serious steps forward if they're able to pull that off. And by the way, I like him against Arkansas as well. So uh, we will find out everything that goes on this weekend and enjoy a phenomenal weekend of college football here. We're here talking with you every single weekday, Locked on College Football podcast. Kevin and Matt, we're with you on Thursdays, and we're brought to you by Rock Auto and rockauto.com. Enjoy the weekend of football, dude. We'll talk to you next week.